You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Wes Goldberg, host of Locked On Warriors, here with David Ramil, host of Locked On Heat. We're here to talk about the Lakers being linked to Deion Waiters and J.R. Smith, whether or not the MVP race is already decided and more. But let's start in Manhattan, where the Knicks and Knicks superfan Spike Lee are feuding on an appearance on First Take Tuesday morning, Lee said he won't be attending Knicks games for the rest of the season after he was apparently denied access to a game uh, through the employee entrance. The comments come a day after a video circulated online showing Lee yelling at arena security outside of an elevator. From the same game, a game in which the Knicks beat the Rockets, by the way, there is a photo of Lee and Knicks owner James Dolan shaking hands. In a statement, the Knicks called Lee's complaints, quote-unquote, laughable. David, should the Knicks fix things with Spike Lee? You know, first, what are we doing here? I mean, this is amazing. It's, 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 this is a point in the season where we're talking about Spike Lee fixing things with the Knicks. And no, they shouldn't. They should not fix things. I mean, it, the drama is what's necessary to keep everybody from actually asking questions about who Leon Rose is and what's wrong with the Knicks season for the 18th million year in, the war, in, in a row. I mean, this is just the kind of drama they need. It all feels like a really elaborate smokescreen. Like, he's already said he's coming back next year. This is like saying, you know what, I, I don't, I'm not coming back to detention for the rest of the season or something like that. It's like, you know, I'm not going back to jail for the last year of my sentence. That's what it feels like. It's like, okay, but you're coming back the year after that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I'll be back. You know, I, I just can't believe that he's at this point where he's he's coming up with this issue about being escorted out for the VIP entrance or he's coming in through the player's entrance and he says it's the same one he's come in through for 28 years as a season ticket holder. And of course, they've had a long-standing issue with him coming in through that entrance and not through the established VIP entrance at Madison Square Garden. And so now all of a sudden he's being he's taking umbrage against it. But this feels so manufactured. It's like, I don't want to go and see this terrible Knicks team for the last month and a half of the regular season. Wait, so you you think Spike Lee is in on this? Yes, I do. I I, I think it's ridiculous. I mean, he's, he's shaking hands with James Dolan at that game. He's probably saying, you know, hey, look, it's Spike Lee. I mean, he, he's been in Hollywood for, what, 40 years? I mean, the man knows how to bullshit his way through a conversation. I mean, who knows what he's actually thinking? But the reality is... This is a terrible Knicks team. Why would he want to watch this team for the last month and a half of the year? Uh, I'm sure that this whole incident was overblown, and the reality is that he just doesn't want to sit through another, you know, another seat, another month and a half of watching RJ Barrett go, you know, five of eighteen from the floor. <laughs> Look, I, everybody always says that the jump is basically clutch sports, the state media. Mm-hmm. First take is starting to become just like the Knicks PR tool. Right. I mean, what is it with first take? They bring in the guy who's the Knicks version of Drake, allegedly. They bring in now Spike Lee to talk about his uh, experience getting to the game, basically. Uh, I don't. Isn't there more to talk about on first take? than there is? they had Charles Oakley on there from his perspective. I mean, (laughs) let's uh, maybe Charles Oakley was a security guy. I, I don't know why. This is happening right now, but I do know that it is the most Nixian thing possible to have this happen and possibly their biggest win of the season. Oh, yeah. Beating a red hot Houston Rockets yeah. team. No, no in one's a really talking good about game that. Where, yeah, no where Barrett has a good. Nobody's talking about it. Instead, everybody's talking about, well, what entrance should Spike Lee be using? I don't know. I do know that he probably shouldn't be using the employee entrance <laughs> if he is really using the employee entrance. I actually, I can't believe I'm saying this, agree with the Knicks. 
just because he's been doing it for 28 years doesn't make it right. I don't really care. And why would you want to go through the employee entrance? I don't know. I think it would be fine to go through a VIP entrance at Madison Square Garden. So I don't get it. I don't get why. And look, Spike Lee, very creative person, very much, you know, a, a, a decorated filmmaker, not a great negotiator, clearly. I mean, you can't go on first take and say, I hate the Knicks. I can't believe all this stuff is happening. James Dolan, why would you do this to me? I deserve the right to go through the employee entrance. Also, I'm coming back next year. <laughs> yeah, when hopefully this team will be a little bit better than the version that they have right now. I, it's just unbelievable. I, I, look, I love Spike and his movies and everything else, but I, I think this is just him trying to drum up some attention here to kind of obfuscate what's been another terrible Knicks season. And I think that's just the reality is that you know it's so... It's so unfun to watch this Knicks team kind of labor their way through another terrible year, and uh, he's just fed up, and I think that makes a lot of sense. I think the bigger question, though, is, like, what can the Knicks do to get on track? I mean, I know we want to kind of just make fun of of this team, and it's just, it is fun to make fun of them because there's so much material, decades worth of material to work with, but can this Knicks team get on track? Are you, oh, here's another question that I find always interesting. People always say the league is better when the Knicks are a good team. Do you find that to be the case? Because uh, I, I don't agree necessarily because I think they've been plenty fun over the last few years when Golden State was dominating the league, but all of a sudden people kind of want to immortalize the New York Knicks as this you know this uh, pantheon of great uh, basketball when in reality they haven't been that for a long time. Uh, we have no evidence. The Knicks haven't been good for so long. Right. We have like in within the social media era, like since YouTube was created, the Knicks have not been good. For more than one season at a time. And there's been no sort of sustained excellence with the Knicks whatsoever. Not even excellence. That is too strong a word. Sustained even okayness for the Knicks uh, in this recent media landscape. I have no idea how today's media would react to a Knicks team that was competent. We have no sample size for that. So I don't – this idea that – look, I do think the the NBA would be better – if there were just more good teams. I'm not saying that the NBA is in a bad place now, but the more good teams there are, the more exciting teams there are, the better off the league would be. I, I think that's just common sense. At least well-run teams, um, you know, or, or something, some yeah. some evidence that there is a, a good team in the formation. Like we, we recently ran a poll among Locked On NBA podcast hosts, and I think the Knicks ranked 30th of all 30 teams as far as the worst team. And that's despite Golden State struggling with losses. But that's because of injuries to Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and Klay Thompson. We know what the plan is in Golden State. We know they're going to be better. What the hell is going on in New York and what's been going on there for a decade? No one has any idea. Do you think Do you think if Zion Williamson was yes. drafted to the Knicks that he would be an even bigger deal than he was? He is now in New Orleans? By far, yeah. By far. Like, I, yeah. I, mean, I think that's the case. So I do think that there, that, that led some credence to the, the idea that the NBA would be better off if the Knicks were better. I, I do think if the NBA... Like, Look, look how – at the same time, the Lakers are good and nobody really – like NBA TV ratings are declining. And the only thing the NBA ever wants is for the Lakers to be good. So I don't know how much it would really move the needle. Yeah, I mean I wonder um, if that's – It would certainly move the needle for the Knicks. Maybe there's some LeBronian fa- fatigue. Like I would love yeah. – I would love somehow if, – if Zion had come to the Knicks, if he had been, you know, fallen to the Knicks, if maybe LeBron had spent the last couple of years of his career – playing in New York just even as an older player who knows what that version will be like but a 38 39 year old LeBron 
joining you know Bronny James when he gets drafted out of high school or whatever on the New York Knicks that that would be fun right I mean I, I think maybe that's kind of a I'm sure the NBA would love that scenario that seems a little unrealistic but I just just to kind of add some excitement just some something to that team like because I, I haven't I haven't looked forward to a Knicks team in, in so long. I mean, even when Carmelo... The was last there. time I liked the Knicks team was Carmelo, Anthony, and, and Amari Stoudemire that year. 2000 was maybe the last... 10? Yeah. That may have been the last time I actually cared about a Knicks team. Yeah? And I, I couldn't... Like, cared about watching them. Like, when Carmelo Anthony was at his peak in New York, that was cool. But and then like you and then you had the insanity thing for like a couple of days and and then the Miami Heat ended that and then yeah um, that was basically it. But I, I yeah the Knicks. Um, we mentioned the Lakers there. The Lakers are trying to improve their team or allegedly after waving Troy Daniels on Sunday to create an open roster spot. The Lakers are reportedly holding workouts for two guards this week. Dion Waiters who met with the team on Monday and then had an impressive showing according to reports and then J.R. Smith. So two guards, David. Who would you rather have if you were the you Lakers? You totally set me up here, right? I mean, you know the answer. Anybody who's listened to this <laughs> podcast knows the answer. Obviously, it's Dion Waiters. I think. Look, I, I just realistically, despite my appreciation of all things Dion, uh, I think Dion is just in a place where he can be a more effective player than J.R. Smith. Uh, you know, we're, we're we've seen in Miami how long it's taken Andre Iguodala, who arguably is probably in much, much better shape than J.R. Smith is, just to kind of get back to being a defensive role player. He struggled in that role somewhat early on, and he's had already about a month, I think, since he was acquired by the team. And so for J.R. Smith to come into the team right now, it would take him a lot longer, I think, to be a kind of serviceable role player. So they're counting on somebody who can come in and contribute at least at some level right away. I think that player is clearly Dion. And I and I just like Dion's game overall a lot better than J.R. Smith. I think he put on a, a from what we've heard of reports of the the workout, he put on an impressive shooting display. He's been a good shooter for Miami over the last few seasons. We've always known that he's a capable defender, something that gets overlooked very much when talking about Dion because all you figure all you see is Dion, his overconfidence and his attitude and general, you know, demeanor and you overlook the fact that he is and has been for a long time a pretty good player. You know, he, he, he's a very versatile defender. He can switch on to one through five. I mean, he does a fairly good job, especially if they're smaller players. But, you know, he can pass. He can create shots for others. And he's certainly willing to take that shot at the last second if it comes down to it. So I, I just think from the excitement excitement perspective, Dion is certainly the player the Lakers would want. J.R. Smith also hasn't played since November uh, 19th of 2018. Yeah, I mean, that's... It seems like it's like they're putting it out there. I don't know to what end. It's almost like to kind of drive down the asking price for Dion Waiters. I guess it's like saying, "Hey, we've got this other huh. player who's played with LeBron for a couple of years already. Um, maybe he's more comfortable." And there is a factor. I mean, I remember you writing a great piece on on Kyle Korver, I believe, and what it was like to play alongside uh, LeBron James. And that's always been something that I've understood. You know, after reading that piece, is you know, players have to understand the gravity of having a guy like LeBron James control almost every aspect of a team. And, you know, from Channing Frye to Kyle Korver to any kind of role player that gets added midway through a season where you have LeBron at the helm, you have to have some kind of understanding. And maybe that might be a little difficult for Dion, 
who's really trying to prove himself after a year of being shelved by, you know, a few months anyway, of being shelved by Eric Spolstra for various disciplinary reasons, he might want to go out there and be a little bit more aggressive, and that might rub LeBron the wrong way, which is why, Le- you know, LeBron had him traded, basically, for, uh, had Dion traded to Oklahoma City back in 2014. So maybe J.R. Smith makes sense in that he can kind of slide in right away, whether he's contributing or not. You know he's going to put up a couple shots. He's going to be a, a friend for LeBron, a guy he can kind of rely on in the locker room as, a, as a, you know another person to kind of carry on uh, you know, LeBron's wishes and things of that sort. But, you know, he, he's underst- he understands what it's like to kind of play alongside LeBron, how to see what LeBron sees and be uh, ready for that kind of pass and things of that sort because that's, that's been a, long, a long-standing challenge I mean, for everybody. Theoretically, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> with J.R. Sure, Smith, sure. but I mean, he, he hasn't played in a long time. And I, I, I agree with you, though. I do think Deion Waiters is definitely the – if you had to pick the, between the two of these, and, you know, ostensibly they do have to pick between the two of these guys, I would pick Deion Waiters, and it's really not close. Uh, first of all, he plays the position of need. J.R. Smith is not an all on-ball type of guy. He could do a little bit. He can drive against a bent defense. He could do some things. But really, Deion Waiters is a guy with a quick first step who can drive and kick. Oh, yeah. Uh, he can run a, a simple pick and roll. Um, you know, he's had obviously his concerns this year. It's been an up and down season for him, but maybe a change of scenery would be helpful for him. And then playing on a winning team like with, like the Lakers and being able to play off of a guy like LeBron, I think would be beneficial for anybody. And I was talking with uh, the Lakers were just recently in town against the Warriors, and just talking to people who covering covering the Lakers and and what they think about this whole situation. I mean, they're not super psyched about any of these guys wow. <laughs> having to cover them, but. They do recognize the current point guard situation. And by the way, if you sign Deion Waiters, he could be your point guard. He could be your quote-unquote point guard. Right now, what they have right now is Rajon Rondo, who some every the way it was described to me, once in every four or five games is okay. Nice. That, that's it. That's what you want. You and, want 20% of your games to be, eh, not bad. <laughs> Alex Caruso, nice nice player, you know, Fringe All Star apparently, to Bleacher but Report, you yes. extrapolate if you extrapolate his minutes per thirty six minutes. I mean, he's he's not a sustainable guy. I don't know if he's one of the, these guys that's going to take you, uh, you know, help you get through a playoff series overall. And then there's Avery Bradley, who's just sort of there and is kind of you know the other guy by default. Deion Waiters could really bring this team something that I think they're missing um, ideally. And if you're able to get him on basically a, a prorated minimum for the rest of the year, that's probably going to be non guaranteed. I don't think, or very, or very partially guaranteed at least. There's very little risk, and I think the reward is pretty high if you can get a little bit of what the, the Miami Heat were able to get out of the best version of Deion Waiters, or even before that, what the Thunder were able to get that one year out of Deion Waiters. What the what the what the Lakers are missing right now, to me, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but you could believe I'm about to say this, is their version is LeBron's Mario Chalmers. Ooh. Like, who is the guy who can guard on the ball? Hit some open threes and do a few things with the ball in his hands, and that's and is very confident. You said it before; he is confident enough to take the shot at the end, rightly or wrongly, and that was always the case with Mario Chalmers. The Mario Chalmers in Cleveland was J.R. Smith. He was always the one being yelled at. I think the Mario Chalmers in the late, in Los Angeles could be Dion Waiters. And think what you will of J.R. Smith and Mario Chalmers; both of those guys have rings. That's <laughs> good point. I, I just don't know if Dion is at a point right now, especially knowing that he has to prove himself where he wants to get yelled at by anybody, right? I mean, I, I look, I, it would be fun, I guess, to see that kind of develop into a combustible situation. I, I don't know. We're kind of we're, we're already looking ahead to you know moments where LeBron is going to lose his patience with Dion before he's even been offered a roster spot. And I think mostly 
the attempt would be a successful one. Like, I think if you do bring on Dion, he is a good player. Like, I, I really do believe that. Even in his one, he had two performances in Miami this season, and, and both of them were pretty solid overall, just in, in limited minutes. I, I think he could still be a valuable player. Uh, I just wonder whether or not he's at a point where he wants to kind of hear LeBron barking at him needlessly, you know, because, you know, LeBron is LeBron. So it, it's going to be interesting. I, I mean, I'm kind of curious to see how it plays out. I'm also curious as to why the the Lakers reporters weren't too excited about covering either Dion or JR. Because they deal with so much drama as it already is, and my argument is like, why wouldn't we want Dion Waiters in the NBA? Yes. Like he is at least novel. <laughs> like he, it, it, it's. I mean, you don't get gummy bear gate with any other player in the league. Uh, well, maybe Dwight Howard. Maybe that's why the Lakers don't want him. <laughs> We're in the twenty, the last twenty or so games of the season, which is the time most voters start thinking about their awards ballots. Giannis Antetokounmpo seems to be the consensus frontrunner for MVP with LeBron James a ways behind him. But David, is there anything that LeBron or or anybody else for that matter can do at this point to make it a race for the MVP award? You know, I uh, I just covered last night's game uh, between the Bucks and Heat and I saw what happens to that Bucks team. You know, I, I'm hearing Bucks fans already clamoring that it was the second night of a back-to-back set. I get that. But the Heat did such an amazing job defensively on Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, you know, just not not just the initial defender in Bam Adebayo, Derek Jones Jr., but multiple defenders from Jimmy Butler to Jay Crowder to Andre Iguodala, just on and on, just sending waves of players crashing at Giannis, making those powerful drives to the rim an impossibility for him, and he finishing you know finishing with just eighteen or thirteen points rather on six of eighteen shooting. Just a terrible nightmare, and seeing that Bucks team that has looked so dominant all season look pretty pedestrian, to be honest with you. So I don't know if this is the standard. I don't know if this is the game plan to try and limit Adedikumpo and kind of reduce the Bucks into just a normal team, but it, it, it worked at least for one night. It worked, and and I know that the Bucks also missed a bunch of open three pointers. That's not on Adedikumpo, although he did go over four from three point range. But I think when you take away out of Dekumpo and you look at this Bucks team, even though they have an all-star in Chris Middleton, even though they have quality role players throughout the roster, they're just not as good a team. Um, and I guess you could make that same argument probably with the Lakers and, and LeBron James. But if anything, I, I think it strengthens how important Giannis is, is to the Bucks and, and their title hopes, which is why he's probably the clear MVP favorite. Now, I mean, if other teams are capable of duplicating what Miami did and they reduce Giannis to just a pretty average player over the last 20 games of the season and LeBron continues his historic pace of putting up these incredible numbers, I, I'd say he'll get some votes just because it's LeBron James. We're, we've come full circle now after years of voting for Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and, and James Harden and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Now there's no longer LeBron James fatigue. Now it's kind of resuscitating how good LeBron is and remembering, oh, yeah, he is actually the best player in NBA history, and he kind of deserves our votes. Um, quick aside, I mean, what is it with the Miami Heat? The last two seasons, they've basically handed Giannis his most two ineffective games the last two yeah. years. I'm just saying that. Yeah. But um, I still – do you think the Heat can actually uh, take the Bucks in a playoff series? I, I think they could. I really do. I'm not ruling it out completely. They seem to know what it is to do to bother. Yeah, they they actually beat Milwaukee in Milwaukee earlier in the season, and that was without Jimmy Butler yeah. in the lineup. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the only team that's beaten Milwaukee they, twice. At that time, right, that's right. I was about to ask. Yeah, yeah. so they, they've beaten them twice a season. I mean, it's, 
at this point, you have to kind of say, well, that's not just an aberration. That seems like it's the norm there. And, I mean, look, there was a, an incredible game plan from Eric Spolstra. Mike Budenholzer afterwards just commended Spolstra for the, the approach, especially defensively. But they also have the right personnel. I mean, Bam Adebayo that's right. did a fantastic job of just harassing Giannis at the point of attack and then having those multiple defenders just kind of, you know, just making things difficult for him. So it's a, a strategy and that, that works. that's why I think... That, and that's why I think that Giannis is still going to run away with this thing. I mean, most teams do not have the bodies to execute the game plan that the Heat right. did against Giannis and bother him to a point where anybody's uh, not going to vote for him. But that said, if he has a couple more of these, my only question is, is he not the consensus? Because right now he could be the second ever consens- consensus MVP. Or I would have at least said that before that loss to Miami. But when we get to voting season, which we are in now, and people start paying more attention to who they want to put on their ballots... Uh, these sort of games tend to stand out, and the Bucks have just been so consistently good that it's unfair. It really is. It's unfair to hold that kind of loss against them over the course of an 82-game season. But they're honestly at the point now where we think we talk about them more when they lose and less than less about them when they win. Even as dominant and consistently great as they have been this year, and so when you're when you now get under that sort of scrutiny, it does remind me a little bit of what LeBron had to deal with in Miami and a little bit in Cleveland where the, the expectation was for him to not only win, but to also dominate. And when he didn't, it became a talking point. And when he did, you just sort of moved on to whatever the other thing was. And I think Giannis is going to get a little bit of that this year, where the year of Steph winning uh, the unanimous MVP, there was none of that. The whole thing was just unbelievable. Like, it, uh, there was just, it, it was the highest of highs, and he could do no, nothing wrong during that season. That said, I think Giannis is going to run away with this thing. Um, I do think LeBron has built up quite a bit of goodwill right now. He may have built up enough to steal a couple of votes, but I just don't really think it's a race. I don't even know who's in it. To me, it is Giannis and LeBron. You can make the argument for Luka Doncic. You can even make the argument for Nikola Jokic, the way he's been playing. He had a pretty pedestrian first month or so of the season, but he's been freaking awesome ever since then. Um, I'm not really sure who else is in I think James Harden is probably still in it, although I think... James Harden, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Just just because of the kind um, of personality and the, the fact that he's a past winner too, so I, I think that that definitely plays a a part in the voting mind there. But uh, yeah, no, I have to agree with you. I, I think right now we're looking at a ninety eight percent chance of Giannis winning and uh, and maybe even being a unanimous selection there. I, I think you know LeBron has has had some amazing games, um, but I, I think I think overall a lot of people tend to think that Giannis is the ooh. likeliest choice. I do wonder whoever in Lakers Lakers media they probably will throw LeBron a vote. Sure. I I would be actually pretty surprised because the one year that Steph won the Lakers weren't any good. Yeah, and the Knicks weren't any good, and so you have like these strong media markets and things like that. That well, it doesn't feel like the same so season, right? Like, like I mean, like the, what what's made yeah. Steph stand out so much is that we'd never seen anything like this before, and as good as Giannis has been. It's it's he's obviously not just a seven footer that can get to the rim, but I mean he's there's much more to his game than what James Harden insulted him as. But the reality is, it doesn't feel that earth shattering or revolutionary in the way that Steph's season did. A couple of notes to wrap up the show today. Steve uh, Steve Kerr said on Tuesday that he is encouraged by Steph Curry's recent G League scrimmage, and that a return on Thursday against the Raptors is definitely possible. And Leangelo Ball of Ball Family fame has been offered a G League contract. David, what do you see as the more important G League development? I, you know, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I actually think it's the the Leangelo Ball thing. Uh, what? Yeah, I, I really do. I mean, like, 
like I, using it as a rehab assignment to kind of incorporate Steph Curry back into the Warriors is fine, but it's been used that way for a long time. I, I think the future of the G League, at least from the common perception, is that it's a place for people on the fringes to kind of get the necessary skills, coaching, training, etc., that will help them get to the next level. Because that's that's the the step there is is witnessing players come from the G League and then actually be able to achieve something at the NBA level, and that's where they get the kind of necessary training that and, and, and teaching in order for them to become a, a, an NBA player to achieve their dreams. And that's a, just from a player's perspective. You know, you're looking at players now who say, why not go make your money overseas? Why not go to China or Australia or Europe and, and play in these other leagues and try and make a little cash there? But if your goal is to be in the NBA, I think you you look at the G League as the, the first and likeliest route to get you there. And then I think from the common perception, again, from the public perception, you have to recognize that the G League is a legitimate farming system where players go train and become legitimate NBA players. I would have really liked for Steph to play in a G League game. That would have been awesome. Um, <laughs> I would have had to personally reroute my own flight from denver to like sioux falls or wherever it was that they were playing which wouldn't be the worst thing well sioux falls uh, in march uh maybe not yeah that like this late it might probably would have been like a 700 hundred dollar flight too so maybe not but um i think that uh (laughs) i don't know i thought the steph curry thing was really interesting i mean he yeah it's been used for assignments for uh rehab in the past but we're talking about like at at best demarcus cousins i mean Steph Curry is clearly the best player to ever be on a G League court. And it was pretty wild being in Santa Cruz and, and watching him after that scrimmage that he had. In his, he like was wearing a Santa Cruz Warriors nice. shirt. It was just really weird. It was it was very very weird. Um, that said, it he was he was assigned officially to the G League that morning and then recalled later that afternoon. So he spent all of a few hours as part of the Santa Cruz Warriors, where LiAngelo Ball apparently is going to sign a contract and spend much more than a few hours in the G League. Ultimately, I do think that the G League uh, is getting a lot more attention, and it's being used in a lot of the right ways mm-hmm. by a lot more teams a lot more often. And to me, you know, LiAngelo Ball, it seems to be like the not good of the ball, the, the not good ball brother. You know, it's just sort of the one that you don't really pay attention yeah. to. I'm not even really sure what he's been doing most of this time. Nothing. But... Um, yeah, he's like kind of the Cooper Manning of the group, mm. um, but it you know why not? I guess like if, if maybe there's some family talent there, maybe maybe he's the next Seth Curry, right? Where you just give him a shot almost because he's a Curry, like, and he turns out to be a decent role player. I don't know, maybe that's unfair to it Seth is. Curry. It is a little unfair. Um, I mean, he did play. At yeah, Duke. I actually feel bad. I'm sorry, Seth Curry. That was. I'm sorry. Was, <laughs> he's a, he was a good player at Duke University. <laughs> he wasn't we a forget good player. That. I mean, he did go to Duke at least. <laughs> did, yeah. did Steph Curry collect the per diem for for G League players? I mean, it, did did somebody give him fifty bucks so he could go to Whataburger or whatever it is at Sioux Falls? <laughs> no, because he was. He was technically assigned there from his contract, so he was making his usual forty million dollars. I wouldn't worry too much. Okay, about I was just worried. I wasn't sure if he had to like go and he had like put out his own money, to, you know, to get a six-piece chicken McNugget or whatever it is. He did drive himself to San Diego. So. Wow, I mean, he is an MVP of the people. <laughs> he very much is a unanimous, a unanimous MVP. Of <laughs> Remember to listen to and subscribe to Locked On NBA on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, rate us, review us, and I think about us for David Renault. I'm Wes Goldberg. Thanks for listening to Locked On NBA.